Well, welcome to Grace this weekend. Wow. Thank you for the spontaneous applause. Wow. Who knew? Yeah, if you, if you don't know me, if you have just started coming in the last handful of months here, um, sometimes I'm referred to as the other guy, right? That's, that's okay. Um, or the whiteboard guy or the guy with the wood pile. Any of those. My name is actually Ryan. So if you want to call me by that, you can. But I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Grace, and uh, we'd love to meet you. If maybe you have just connected here in the last handful of months, good chance we haven't met yet. I've been leading and uh, teaching at one of our other campuses, our Ellet campus, for the last few months now. And uh, we have eight campuses here at Grace, and sometimes we have to help each other out, so I've been uh, doing that. But glad to be back with you, and uh, glad to be here at least uh, for a few weeks, and uh, want to reconnect uh, with some of us here this weekend. So thanks for being here in the room. If you've connected online, thanks for tuning in that way as well, or if you're at our Montrose location, thanks for being there. But excited to walk into a new series that we're opening up. It's going to be a short, kind of short, sweet series uh, called Habits and Heartbeats. And uh, we did a series kind of like this a few months ago where we said that there's, there's some habits and some heartbeats, kind of some passions and patterns that are going to show up in uh, the life of every follower of Jesus, uh, re really because there, there's a lifestyle to being a Christ follower. And we said we want to take some time and look at kind of what that lifestyle is like, describe it a little bit, kind of see where the passion is underneath all of it. And uh, we did that a few months ago. We looked at kind of why we would share our faith and some of the how-tos behind that. And what we want to do with this Habits and Heartbeat series is really look a little bit deeper at the Bible and what it means to embrace the Bible and why it is a follower of Jesus would value the Bible so highly, why it's such a big deal uh, for Christ followers. So we're going to spend uh, just a few weeks kind of looking at that. And as we dive into that conversation, I want to recognize that we kind of approach this conversation from all different angles. Uh, so some of us grew up in the church and uh, we, we are familiar with the Bible. Man, the Bible's a big part of our lives. We use it all the time. Some of us love using the Bible. We, we kind of have a great connection to God through it. If that's you, that's awesome. I think this will be a refreshing time uh, for you to kind of just see the big picture of what the Bible's all about. Uh, some of us, I want to recognize, grew up in the church and you didn't have that experience. Uh, you grew up in a context maybe where, where the Bible and interacting with the Bible was kind of loaded up with some baggage, some, some religious baggage, uh, where, where maybe you were told that if you read the Bible, uh, you're going to have an easier or good life. Or if you read the Bible, maybe all your dreams are going to come true. Or if you don't read the Bible, man, God, God hates you or God's mad at you. You might go to hell. You, you might have heard all kinds of crazy things about what happens when you interact with this book or what happens when you don't interact with this book. And uh, we, we want to recognize that some of that baggage exists. We're even going to talk about some of that today. And I also want to recognize that some of us are here in the room or tuning in online, and, and you're maybe a little bit more like me. Uh, I had no background whatsoever with Scripture. I didn't grow up in the church. And uh, so I had uh, no religious background whatsoever. I became a follower of Jesus at almost 19 in college uh, when a, a buddy told me about Jesus. And so for me, the Bible wasn't something I thought that much about. I, I just kind of was a skeptic at best. But if I'm honest, I just didn't spend that much time thinking about the Bible. It didn't occupy that much space in my life, and you might be in that place. Uh, maybe you're investigating what a relationship with Jesus might look like, or you're just here because, and you got some questions you're not quite sure what to do with, and so you came to church or you tuned into this. 
recognize that. Uh, some of us are maybe even farther down that road, and uh, maybe you are deeply skeptical. And you're like, I don't know if the Bible is trustworthy. I don't know if I uh, have any interest in it. And I want to recognize that that, kind of, that perspective exists here as well. And so what I want to do, though, for the sake of this conversation and for the sake of this series, is what I would love to do is work through just a little bit of the baggage piece. We're going to address some of that in a minute. But I would love for us to almost just put our baggage away that we have with the Bible, put away or pause our skepticism, if you'd be willing to do that, and just have a big picture, baggage-free, skepticism-free conversation about what this book is. Right? And that's kind of the approach you want to take in this first conversation. We want to get a big picture look at it and kind of go back to the basics and say, all right, what, what is this thing? And how does it work in my life? And why is it that God, all right, if God exists, why is it that he would write this stuff down for us? Like, it's kind of like this is a football, right? It's back to the basics. This is a Bible. What is its purpose and what is it doing for us and why do we have it? That's kind of the conversation I want us to have is kind of to zoom out and look at the Bible with fresh eyes. In some ways, I feel like that was the gift that I got to have when I became a follower of Jesus at nearly 19 is I came to it with a fresh set of eyes and I was able to see it kind of baggage-free, you know, and it was kind of a game changer in my life. And I went from having absolutely zero interest in the Bible. Uh, I would have thought, man, I, have, I don't even want to pick that book up and look at it, to being absolutely consumed by it, uh, where there were years where I, I, would, I just couldn't put it down. I wanted to spend as much time as I possibly could because I was finding answers for life and truth that I never knew was available. And man, I feel like I cracked open a treasure and found this unbelievable thing that was sitting on my shelf for the vast majority of my life, right? So that's kind of the, the reality of where we're going to go today and uh, the context we're going to look at. So I want to start off by addressing just a few pieces of maybe the baggage that we might have picked up along the way, especially if you grew up in a religious context, uh, whether you're a follower of Jesus here or not. So here's the first one. Uh, first statement we'll make, uh, reading the Bible daily doesn't guarantee that we're going to go to heaven, right? Kind of right out of jumpsuit. We want to just see this right out of the gate. Uh, reading the Bible, putting my face in this book on a daily basis doesn't necessarily guarantee, one, that I have a relationship with God, or two, that I'm going to go to heaven. So doing the daily kind of religious activity of reading the scriptures, reading the Bible, doesn't necessarily mean that I'm a follower of Jesus, it doesn't necessarily mean that I have a relationship with Christ, and it certainly doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to go to heaven, right? It's kind of a big deal. So you say, wow, what, what do I do with that? Because uh, sometimes we have been told that if I read the Bible, if I'm just in it, I, I'm going to be on the right path. I'm going to become the right kind of person. God's going to be pleased with me because I'm reading the Bible. Just read the Bible, you're going to be okay. Well, we're going to see here in a second that Jesus, right, when he walked on the planet, he would interact with religious leaders of the time. And of course, those people would be unbelievably uh, adept in understanding the Bible. They have huge portions of it memorized. These guys were like Bible heroes. They, they knew everything there was to know in many ways about the Bible, but they missed the point of it, kind of missed the, the big picture, so to say. And Jesus would speak to them about that and speak to them kind of harshly about their interaction with the Bible. Let me show you an example of this. This is in John chapter 5, uh, verses 39 and 40. Direct quote from Jesus. Here's what he says. He says, you study the scriptures diligently 
because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus would say, here's the thing, uh, religious leaders, Pharisees, lawyers, teachers of the law, this would be kind of all the same group of people that would be kind of experts at this stuff. He'd say, yeah, you, you guys have, you have your nose in the book all the time. You're constantly studying it, but you're missing the point. You, you read it, you use it, but, but you fail to do what it prescribes that you do. You don't come to me. You aren't pointed to me. Uh, you think that in them, in the diligent study of the scriptures, that that will bring you life. And he's like, it doesn't. It doesn't, right? So I want to recognize that. That reading the Bible on its own, getting the information into my head won't necessarily make me right with God. It doesn't necessarily produce life in me. In fact, other parts of the scriptures would say this. Hey, guys, e even the demons know the words of God. Having the information and even having the discipline in place doesn't necessarily put me in the right place with God, right? Big, big, big deal here. So we want to see that, and we want to recognize that, and we want to make sure we undo some of that baggage that's built up around that practice. Some of us were made to feel an enormous amount of guilt, um, or we had an enormous amount of pride about maybe how we interacted with the Bible. Right? If I interacted with it really well, maybe I got really prideful about that and thought I earned a relationship with God through interacting with it. Or maybe you felt like, man, God must hate my guts because I don't read the Bible as much as I should. Oh, I missed a day. Maybe things aren't going to go well for me, right? That leads us to kind of the next big piece of baggage here that I think we run into. Uh, here's the next one. The Bible is not a good luck charm uh, that we carry with us for protection or with special favor for God, uh, from God, right? So, so the idea that... Um, that if I have a Bible with me, that it gives me mystical protection in life. Like, man, I'm going on a road trip. I better take a Bible with me because it's going to put an aura, a God aura around my car, and no one's going to run into it. Now, no one would say that out loud, but sometimes that's kind of the misconception is there. I, I just want to have it with me, right? Kind of like I just want to have this special token in my life because it, it makes me feel safe. I want to have one in my house because I'm going to have, you know, God's blessing on my house because I got a Bible in it. That kind of thinking, while many of us would never admit to that out loud, it kind of permeates the, the book, the Bible, and, it, and let's even take it a step further, right? Because we can also go a step further and say, um, getting, getting, my, getting myself to sit for 10 minutes and mindlessly open the Bible without really engaging it, if I do that on a regular basis, God will give me a good day. He's going to give me a sale. He's going to make that girl say yes when I ask her out because I put my face in front of the Bible today. In, in the flip side, right, we, we would hear this kind of baggage. The flip side is also true. You're not going to have a good day because you didn't spend time in the Bible. And there's a direct correlation between me putting time into this discipline and having like things happen the way I want them to, or if I don't do that, then they're not going to happen the way that I want them to. Man, we, we just want to highlight all that thinking and control, delete, like get rid of that, right? That is not how this whole thing works. He, here's what James would say. He's going to point us, give us a clue about maybe how we can start to think about the Bible. James 1 says this, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Right, so, so Jesus would have just told us, yeah, the Bible points you to me. James is telling us 
the, the person who's blessed, and there is blessing that comes with interacting with the Bible, it comes from the person who reads it and remembers what it says and puts it into practice, right? The, the doer of the Bible is what James would prescribe. Right? That, that's the way we want to start to think of it. But you might say, well, Ryan, how does this whole thing work, man? Like, get, get me up above it. Help me to see the big picture questions about what the Bible is and, and where it comes from, how it, how it functions. Let me start off by kind of answering that, that first one. What does the Bible do for me, or what does it claim to do for me? Here's the first thing I want us to see. Okay, the Bible, what it does, in part, is it defines reality for me, right? At the broadest view, if we looked at the broadest view of what the Bible does for me, is it gives me a definition of reality, you're like, man, Ryan, that's kind of a big idea. Break it down for me. Help me to get my head around it. Think of it this way, right? When we enter into the planet, right, when we're born, uh, what we'll do is it's almost like we're given all of the pieces of this puzzle with no box, right? We, we, we have, we got family, and we have friendships, and we have money, and we have work, and we have food, and we have pleasure, we have pain, but we're not sure how it all fits together, Right? There, there's no like vision, there's no visual of what this puzzle, all these pieces that show up in life, how they're supposed to fit together, and, and there's no connection between them. I don't know how to define what this thing's supposed to be. There's not a reality given to me. I just show up, I'm born, I enter into humanity, and now I've got all this stuff that I'm interacting with, all these pieces of life. Now, here's kind of a, a, a mind-blowing thing. I think it's mind-blowing, at least. The reality is, as human beings, all of us, whether we realize it or not, are going to choose a box that we make up or we decide upon that defines the reality for our pieces. We have some kind of picture that we're going to create with the pieces of life. Sometimes what has defined reality for us is, is what our parents raised us to believe, Right? We were like, oh, th this is what mom and dad said life is about, so I'm going to create that picture. I'm going to take the pieces and create and invent and kind of move towards that vision for life. Sometimes what's created reality for us or defined reality for us is some other religious system. Uh, if you grew up in a different religion, there, there's a definition of reality that has been offered there. What also is happening is the Bible is saying here, here is it a definition of reality, we would say as followers of Jesus, the authoritative definition of reality. We want that to be the goal, the picture, the box to the puzzle that we're putting all the pieces on, and we believe that that's going to lead to the kind of life that God designed us to live. So, right, keep breaking it down for me. Help me understand this. Let's use one of the pieces, for example. Uh, let's, let's use money, okay, for the sake of our conversation. Let's take the piece of money, the puzzle piece, right? And we would know, we would look at that piece and say, man, um, money is, what is this thing? What, how important is it? What does it do for me? How much should I work on it? How much should I grow it and build it? How much should I ignore it and say it's not that valuable? And maybe we could take that piece of money and what we would do, we make it, maybe could do is say, oh, money in and of itself uh, tends to feel good when I have it, right? feels good when I have it. When I get a raise, I'm excited about that. I have more money. It feels better to have more money than to have less money. So the conclusion, the definition of reality starts to go like this. Well, if I had 
more money, and that felt good. Maybe if I had a lot of money, then life would be really good, right? And so maybe I start to build a picture of what it would look like to have a lot of money, and so I start to structure my life to hit that picture and aim it that way. Now, we all know, I think, what happens when we do that. We all know that if we run down that road of chasing money, somewhere down the road, either a year or five years or 10 years or a lifetime later, we're gonna figure out that money wasn't nearly as important as that picture said that it was and that we wasted a whole lot of time and energy chasing something that was never designed to give us what we thought it was going to give us, right? There's a, there's a reality to it. There's a place that it fits in the puzzle and that picture that, that we started to build, you guys ever do this when you build a puzzle? Where you look at a piece or two and, and it looks like it should fit there. So we start to force it in. You just kind of jam it, fit there, right? And so we start to put them together and we start to make this life that is kind of warped and kind of off, but it, it looks closer to this picture that we really want to be true. We could do something else with money. We could look at it and say, you know what? Money bugs me, right? Some of us are like this. We're like, I don't, I don't even want to mess with it. I don't want to pay any attention to it. I'm just going to spend money and I'm buy things that I want to buy and it'll all work out in the end. And I, I know that money doesn't lead to happiness. So I'm not going to invest any time or energy into managing it well. I'm just going to, all right, I'm going to ignore it. And so I create a picture that's down here. What happens now I'm in financial trouble and I've run down this road and now I got to backtrack because it's a dead end because, because now I've used all this time and energy ignoring money and now I got to dig out of a debt and dig out of trouble. Either way, I've wasted all kinds of time and energy because I've interacted with a piece of the puzzle that is not defined by reality, by the creator of it. Watch what, at least in part, what the Bible would do. Uh, the Apostle Paul would define how this works. At least in this verse here in First Timothy, he gives a part of a vision of how money works according to God. He says this, command those who are rich in this present world. Uh, by the way, that's just, that's us. When we read the Bible, when they say rich, what they mean is you have more than you need to live today. That equals rich in the Bible. We think rich equals I have everything I want. What they mean is you have a couple pairs of clothes and a roof over your head equals rich, right? So he says, command those who are rich in this present world uh, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. So right here, he's saying, hey, hey that picture that you have where you've put your hope in wealth, he's like, delete that. Get rid of that thing. That's, that's not how money actually works. Uh, we want to put our hope in God. Uh, what do we do with our money, right? We put our, uh, look at God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, so it's okay to enjoy some things financially. But he says, make sure that the people with money, uh, they do good, they, uh, to be rich in good deeds, and to, have, to be generous, and to be willing to share. He says, in this way, they lay up for themselves treasures as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. It says, listen, neither of these pictures of money are based on the reality that God created. Put, put it here. Is it fine to take care of your needs and even plan for your financial needs? If we were to look at the rest of Scripture, absolutely. That's, that's totally an appropriate use of money. I can't ignore it. I can't worship it. Put it in the context of this picture. Be generous. Be willing to share. Money is a way to show love and to take care of our financial needs here on the planet. Right? I, when I start to get it in the right context and put it in the reality that God's created, it starts to make sense. Now, the reality, the what, of what the Bible does gives us this reality, this framework I can connect into, this picture to point the puzzle pieces after. 
But it goes a step further than that. It actually tells me how, when I say yes to that reality, how it puts me into a context, into a story that is much bigger than my individual story, into my individual life. Let me show you what I mean. Right? It, look, it answers this question, how I fit into this big overarching context, because all of us are going to kind of face these big existential questions. Uh, how does my life work? What, what, is, what am I really supposed to do here on the planet? Why do I exist? What is my purpose? Is this really all there is? It feels like something's not quite right. Something's missing. How do, how do I look at my time here on the planet, my life, and can I see it in, in the picture of this broader context, this big story that God has told? And what we're going to find out is that, man, context matters a ton because it, it orients me, it shows me how I fit into the whole, and that matters an enormous amount, right? Context matters. Uh, when, when Lori, my wife, and I, uh, we've been married 17 years, when we first started dating, man, you remember that phase of life, if, if maybe you're married or you're dating somebody right now, when you're just crazy about each other, right? We, we were nuts, nuts, crazy about each other. We had met each other's parents, and all of our friends, of course, knew each other and had gotten to know each other. But we were about to cross the threshold where we meet each other's extended family. It's an interesting moment, right, where there's kind of a commitment level that now you know, once the whole family knows the other person, this thing's getting really serious, right? It's like kind of a big deal. And so uh, I was about to go meet Lori's family, Lori's Lebanese and uh, I was about to meet her family after, uh, after Easter church. I was going to go see her family and kind of meet them at dinner. Now, I had a picture in my head because I live in a context. I, I knew what I thought family dinner meant, right? Because I had my definition of it. And here's what family dinner meant in my context. Uh, I'm an only child. Uh, I was an only grandchild till I was 16, so there are literally eight people in my whole family. Eight, right? We all sit around one table. The food's all on the table. One human talks at a time. When the human is finished, another human would speak, right? And you have a decent and orderly conversation, and the meal is finished, and the event is over, right? It's kind of, that's, for me, that's how... That's how a holiday meal works. What other thing could you possibly do? And, and Lori kept kind of warning me. She's like, honey, you, you, my family's kind of a lot. You know, they're Lebanese. And I was like, I, just, I don't know what you mean by that. And she just kept saying it, you know, like war, kind of warming me up. She's like, you just you need to prepare yourself a little bit. It's just a little different maybe than, than what you've experienced. I was like, okay. You know, I'm super nervous because I'm going to meet the extended family, and this is kind of a big deal because I think this thing's going somewhere. I'm like, I'm in love. She's hot, right? We're going to get married, right? We're in, it's going to be amazing. But, but I got to meet the family first. And so I remember driving onto her block because I'd been at her parents' house a gazillion times, and I remember driving up the street, and like immediately as I turned onto the street, I see this huge line of cars, around her house, and I was like, who are all these people? Like, what, what is happening? She's like, well, there's going to be a lot of people here, honey. I was like, well, how many? Well, there's a lot, right? And I was like, okay, you know, and I'm walking up, and I'm nervous. My heart's beating, 
And I'll never forget, like, coming up to the front door, you know, my pulse is going, and I'm ready, I'm prepared to, like, meet people, meet, meet the family, it's going to be amazing. And as we opened the door, there was, like, this flood of human noise that just poured over me, laughing, yelling, just people, right? And I, I looked in there, and there were people everywhere, right? And I was like, what is that? <laughs> like, what is happening right now? And I walk in. I, I'm not kidding. I took three steps into the door, and this Lebanese man walked up to me and looked me right in the eye, and he said nothing, <laughs> right? He looked at me, and he doesn't speak to me. He then looks at Lori's dad, who's like the godfather of the Lebanese tribe, right? It's amazing. He, look, he looks at he looks at Lori's dad, and he's, he, go, he goes, is he eating with us? I was like, I think I need to go, right? He's not eating here, is he? Who is this guy? And he, he just starts asking my soon-to-be father-in-law all these questions. And I was like, I'm uncomfortable, right? Nobody even answers the question. He disappears. He just forgot about it. And now all of these women with bright red lipstick are coming to kiss me. <laughs> and I'm like, what is happening, right? I, they're, they're like, oh, look, here's a guy who's not Lebanese, who's now in our family. We love him. Lebanon just, like, loved me, right? They just included me in. They're like, here, this guy, he's really white. Let's, like, love, let's love him, right? And so now I'm, I'm in the middle of this unbelievable family experience that's different than anything I've ever faced. What, what was I doing? I was in the middle of a context that I knew nothing about, and I needed Lori, he's kind of my guide through it, to help me make sense of Lebanon. Right? It's something different, something I'd never known about. It had existed long before me, and man, it'll be there long after I'm gone. And I just needed to recognize I'm now a part of it. I'm a part of the story. I'm in the context. That is exactly what the Bible is doing for you and I when we show up on the planet. The Bible is saying, hey, welcome to the planet. Uh, it's a little overwhelming. There's a lot of stuff going on here. You need to understand that you're part of this big story that you know nothing about. And when, when you feel overwhelmed and you feel like, what is life and how does it work and I'm confused and what should I give myself to and how, do, how does all the reality shape together? What I need is a guide to walk me through it and help me see my place in the big story of, of God's grand narrative. That's what the Bible does for me in part, right? Uh, Peter would talk about this. L let me show you this in 2 Peter 1. He says, we also have the prophetic message. Uh, the prophetic message, the best way to think of that is just the Bible. We also have the Bible as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, listen to this, as a light shining in a dark place. Peter's gonna say, listen, when you're feeling a little in the dark about your life, What's this thing about? Who am I? Where am I headed? What do I do with myself? He says, grab hold of the prophetic message, the Bible. It's completely reliable, and it will illuminate for you. It will open your eyes to help you see, listen, you're, you're a part of this big story, right? So, you, so that I don't draw false conclusions about my life. I can start to see myself in light of what God is actually doing and the story he's actually creating. 
I love this quote. I found this this week, and I've just been thinking about it all week. It's by Elizabeth Elliott. She's a, a missionary, part of a missionary family. She watched her, her um, husband, Jim, uh, be killed on the mission field. And uh, she has an, an amazing, incredible testimony, amazing story. But she says something very interesting about the Bible. She says, the Word of God I think of as a straight edge, which shows up our own crookedness. We can't really tell how crooked our thinking is until we line it up with the straight edge of Scripture. Isn't that great? Right? She's saying, listen, we're, we're, Peter says, we're in the darkness. She says, we're, we're, we're crooked in our thinking. I can't quite make sense of what my life's about until I see what the Bible's talking about. I see the, what straight actually looks like. So it's super easy for us to look at our lives and think, oh, man, well, I, you, know, you, you only live once. I should probably get the most out of my life and live for me and be happy. That, that all makes a ton of sense until I'm straightened out with, with that straight edge of the Bible and I see, oh, wait, I'm part of this massive, epic story that's playing out that I just haven't discovered yet, right, because I'm in darkness until I hear it. And you might look at me and say, well, Ryan, what, what does that even mean? What, tell us, like, the short, in a nutshell version of the big story of the Bible Help me get my head around it. And I know that for me, at least, this was incredibly helpful. Uh, as I came to the Bible as a young adult, I'm like, just give me the big picture, man, because I'm lost. It's going to be overwhelming when you interact with the Bible for the first time. What is going on here? Right? So what's the big picture? Give me the context. Help me see it. Let me start you almost as if we're starting from scratch, right? If you looked at the Bible and said, here's the story, here's really what we're introduced to. When you begin the Bible, what you're introduced to is God the Creator, the, the one that makes all the things, right? All of the things that we see and enjoy and know. He makes the animals, and he makes creation, he makes the landscapes that we would be exposed to today, and he makes us, he makes people. And we're made uniquely in his image. We're somehow, in a, in a very unique way, made specially connected to God, and we're made in some way like him. And he looks at humanity as he creates us, and he says, listen, I'm putting you guys in charge of all the things, Right? You're going to be in charge of everything. I'm handing it over, entrusting it to you. And here's the thing. I want you to take care of it. I want you to work with it. I want you to build it and grow it and multiply it. There's one thing that I don't want you to do. Uh, and if you break this one command, uh, we're going to have problems. You're going to face kind of a loss of life. You're going to face death. Well, that is exactly what happens. The first human beings broke the one thing that God said not to do. When that happened... This is where we get our word sin. Sin entered into the world. The relationship between God and human beings was broken. And from that point until the very end of human history, through the end of Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, basically the story of the Bible is God pursuing human beings in a variety of different ways to rebuild a relationship that we broke. That's the story of the Bible. And you say, how did that work? Well, God reached out and he offered truth. He offered his word. He offered leaders, kings and priests and prophets and judges. And basically all these different people. And he worked through this family that turned into a nation. This would be Israel. And, and no matter what God gave, if you fast forward to the whole Old Testament, I read through the whole thing the first time. And here was my big conclusion after I read it all. No matter what God offered to human beings, it wasn't enough to rescue us. It wasn't enough to change us. We kicked against it. It wasn't enough to transform us from the inside out. 
what had to happen is out of that nation and that family that God built Israel would come a savior. And that savior was actually God with skin on, right? A human being, the author enters into and writes himself into the story. Jesus shows up, Jesus lives perfectly, dies innocently, is buried completely, and then rises from the dead victoriously. As he beats death, now he offers us life in its place, and we take on the death of Christ as he dies for our sins, and we receive the life that he died to give us. That is the message of the gospel, and that message is is the message that we can have a relationship with God restored in a way that it was originally designed to be, and it's now available to everyone. It's available to you no matter uh, what you look like or how old you are, what race you are, if you're, uh, if you're overweight or underweight, if you're young or old, if you're smart or not so smart, if you live here or you live somewhere else on the planet, all people in all times, in all cultures, of all languages, all have access to that same message, and it is the one message of how we get back to God, right? That, that is the people of the church are the people who say yes to that message. That's why Grace Church exists, and that's why we would do things like sports camps or have campuses all throughout our area is because we believe that message has to get out to people because that's how we're changed from the inside out and we're restored in relationship to God. The church will continue to march on, including people in the family, bringing them in until the Bible would say that this earth will wear out one day like a garment. Like an old, you ever have a t-shirt that gets too thin and starts to fall apart? The Bible says the earth one day is gonna do that. It's going to become thin and it's going to wear out and this earth as we know it will be destroyed. The people on it who have said yes to Jesus will live forever with Christ in eternity in heaven, the people that have said, hey, no thanks, I'm out. I don't wanna be a part of what you're doing, God. I don't want relationship with you. will get kind of what they have said they wanted and, and they will be disconnected from God forever in eternity as well. That, in a nutshell, is the story of the Bible, right? We find ourselves in the midst of that epic drama. We are in this piece of it called the church, where we get to, if we're followers of Jesus, carry the message of Christ with us to all people who may be interested in it, and we get to be messengers and ambassadors of hope. Now, you say, Ryan, that, that's the big context. It's how we fit in. If you had to boil it all down, why did God give us the Bible? It's a great question. I think it's the most important question. Why? Why did he do it? Was it so we could get smarter with the information or we could feel good about ourselves for being religious or is it, is it just to tell us how life works? It's, it's more than all of that. Here's the ultimate reason. The reason the Bible is given is to give us a restored relationship with God. That's it. That's it. The God of the universe longs to know us. It's fascinating. I just want you to get get your mind around this. Just think about this this statement. When we read the Bible, we are hearing God's voice. When we read the Bible, we're hearing God's voice. Listen to what Peter said. He says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. He's saying, listen, guys, people didn't just make this stuff up. 
over the hundreds and thousands of years in the 40 plus authors that contributed, God spoke through these people. Here's what he would say, right? For prophecy, which we think of as the Bible, never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God invented this book. He spoke through people, and he did it in a way that none of us would have ever planned or thought of. And he did all of that because he longs to have relationship with us. He wants us to hear his voice, and he wants us to know him. Sometimes I think about this, and I think sometimes it's easy because of the commonness of the Bible to lose track of how profound it is that we have it. The Bible is the best-selling book of all time in the history of books, (laughs) right? More copies of the Bible exist and are sold than any other book. And so it's easy to think that because because it's common, because it's everywhere, because it's on all of our shelves, that I could lose track of the profoundness, hear me, the profoundness that God has chosen to speak to us. The God of the universe is making himself known and making himself available. Because he's like, listen, I want to know you. I do know you. I know everything about you. And I want you to know me. I don't know, guys. I mean, when I think about who I would like to know, I'd like to know uh, all kinds of neat people on the planet. I'd love to spend a half an hour with some guys that are really good at dunking a basketball, you know, NBA players. I'd love to spend a half an hour with a couple of them. I would love to spend a half an hour with with some brilliant authors that have written unbelievable works because I'm a nerd, right? I would love to do that. I'd love to spend some time picking the brains of CEOs and some guys that have led some unbelievable organizations. Just to have a half an hour with them would be amazing to me. And you probably have people in your life, you'd say, boy, I'd love to have a half an hour with that guy or that lady. And God patiently, quietly is always available, making himself known, saying, I'd love to have some time with you. I'd love, I'd love for you to get to know me like I know you because I know everything about you, God would say. Right? Here's the reality. God knows everything we've ever done. He knows every weird thought we would ever think. He knows every painful experience we've ever been through. He knows every way that we have uh, been sinful and been rebellious against him. And yet he has consciously chosen and continues to choose to know you and to know me. And I would look at you and say it doesn't make any sense because all we have basically done is is stiff-armed him for a long, long time. And yet God's pursuit of us has been relentless. God is not about condemning and destroying and judging us. He's giving himself all kinds of time to be found by us. It's fascinating. I just wrote a few things down to help capture at least part of what the Bible presents God as. Just listen to this quick list. It's just scratching the surface. Here's what the Bible reveals God as. As the creator of every beautiful thing we see. Every beautiful picture, God is behind that. That landscape, that sunset. The architect of the laws of nature 
We don't even recognize them because we assume them as we live. The designer behind our ecosystem, the giver of amazing gifts like friendship, family, love, food, and sex. If we drive any enjoyment from those things whatsoever, I want us to recognize consciously in this moment that it's God who's behind that. The reliable one that will always tell us the truth and never lie. The judge that is full of compassion and mercy when we do wrong and the judge that is full of justice that we can run to when we are wronged. The powerful one that can supersede the laws of nature that he created through miracles like raising someone from the dead. He's the perfect father that is always there and will never leave. And even if only one of those things were true, it would be absolutely worth our time and effort and energy to get to know the, the one who that can be set of. It's incredible. It's incredible. As I, I think about my life, it's fascinating to me. 18 years, I lived in a home where nobody followed Jesus, nobody went to church, no religious background whatsoever, and I wrestled in anguish trying to figure out where do I fit into the planet and who am I and what's my life about, probably like many of us do. And all the while, while I lived in that home, a Bible just like this sat on a shelf of books in my house my entire life and I'm over here losing my mind, trying to get answers, getting to the point of hopelessness where I literally don't even know what to give myself to. And the, the whole time, there, there sits the Bible, untouched, unexplored. It's fascinating to me. It was there the whole time. And even today, after my Bible education and my years of pastoral ministry, when I'm facing a problem, I like to think I'm real smart and try to figure it out by myself still. And then eventually I come to this conclusion, right, there's the Bible. I should probably go there to check out the answer and see if God might lead me to wisdom that I can't access on my own. It's beyond the power of a brain to figure out. Say, Ryan, what do we do with all this, man? It's a big old conversation. When you start to think about it and get your head around it, it's a big one. We, lo we look at the reality that, that what the Bible does is it connects us, it defines reality for us, it puts us into a context, a story. And then ultimately, that story is driving at, at getting us into a relationship with a God who is deeply, deeply passionate about us who loves our souls, and we go to unbelievable lengths to save us. See, so how, how do we walk away from this conversation and begin to stir up a hunger, maybe, in us for the words of God? Because if this is remotely close to true, it's certainly worth our time and investment. Not out of guilt or obligation or baggage or anything weird but simply because it's here. And if God might be able to be found, I want to find him. So what can we do? Here's what I would love for us to do. Ready? 
I would love for each person in this room and watching online to somehow write this down, Psalm 119. Please take a minute and put it in your phone or jot down a note or capture it. I'm gonna keep talking about it until I see lots of you move, right? I want you to capture this for a second. Psalm 119, and here's what I would love for us to do. I would love for us this week to read this psalm. It's long, okay? Read this three times. Read this three times. Now, here's gonna be the challenging out of your comfort zone where all the good stuff happens part that I'm gonna challenge you with. One of the times that you read Psalm 119, I would love it if you would go be alone somewhere and read it out loud. You're like, Ryan, that's weird. Who does that? I know, it's weird, just trust me. Things are different when you read them out loud. Just try it. Let me tell you in part what you're gonna find. When you go read this psalm three times, and especially when you read it out loud, what you're gonna experience is you're gonna experience the author who wrote that psalm, the man who God inspired to write that down, and what you're gonna see is a passion and a conviction and a lifestyle, a habit and a heartbeat that at least I, I haven't quite grown into yet, but I'm jealous to have a passion for God and a knowing him in his word that is beyond the grasp of my experience of walking with Christ. And every time I read it, I'm, I'm stung and inspired and I'm spurred on to go chase down, how do I get to know God like this guy knows God? Man, I want that. And when you read it out loud, you'll feel it at a deeper level. Right. Try it this week, three times, read it out loud once. And here's the, the prayer, the heart attitude I'd love us to start with. Very simply, today and as we interact with that psalm, I want us to simply pray this. God, help me know you. God, help me know you. For those of us who are skeptical, if God exists, he's gonna answer that prayer. I'm just gonna tell you that. God, if you're real, help me know you. If you've been walking with Jesus for 50 years, uh, the, the knowing him never ends, it just deepens. God, help me know you. If you're stalled out, God, help me know you. If you're in the middle of the Bible and you're in it all the time, God, help me know you. God, stir up within me a hunger to know you the way that you know me. As the band comes out, would you pray that with me? And then would you meet the Lord right where he wants to meet us? Let's pray together. Father, I'm, I'm blown away this weekend. Um, just seeing the great extensive lengths that you have gone to to let yourself be known and to rebuild a relationship with me. I say thank you for it today. Um, that wisdom and insight and knowledge and vision and passion and connection to our original design has been right under our noses the entire time and at least in my life, Lord, the majority of the time I've missed it. God, help me know you. Stir up within each one of us today and as we read Psalm 119 this week, a hunger and a thirst to know you personally.
not to know about you or not to be religious, but to know God, the one who loves and is passionate for our souls, the deepest love that we could ever access. Lord, would you work in our hearts this week like that, in our minds? And Lord, I know that you're eager to answer that prayer more than I could ever ask you to answer it. You long to be with us, to love us right where we are, no matter where we've been or what we've done. Your hands are open and your arms are extended and you're eager to be found. Meet us here, Lord, even now.